So we've reached the final week of our series, and hope that you all have enjoyed it and found it helpful. Um, I know in the study and in hearing from our other brothers this semester um, that I've been incredibly encouraged and helped to uh, gain a clear vision of what it looks like to uh, love others in the church and to be a faithful friend to others. Um, it's been a, been a blessing to be able to um, teach a few times this semester, and I know the other guys are um, super thankful to be able to do that as well. So um, this semester, we've been striving to learn how to cultivate deeper, uh, more love-filled, more joy-filled uh, friendships here in the body, and why? Because when Christ saved us, we said that he inseparably united us to himself. He inseparably united us to himself and other members of the body in that. Every member of the church is spiritually connected, and that tie can't be broken. And so this union also implies a call to fellowship. We are to put this unity on display by our love for one another. And like a family, we are to live life together and grow closer and closer together. We started out the semester with love one another where we learned that love is sacrificially giving ourselves excuse me for a second giving ourselves for the good of others no matter the cost and Christ intends love to be the all-encompassing mark of the Christian life and if you're here on Thursday we received some great reminders about this from Pastor Clay we also learned about exhorting one another through our speech encouraging greater and greater obedience to Christ and our brothers and sisters We learned about comforting one another, where we learned that God intends his comfort and hope that he grants to us to be used to restore the hope of others. And also, we learned about serving one another with humility, forgiving one another any wrong, knowing the mercy that Christ has shown us, and to bear one another's burdens as we fight the battle against the flesh. And last week, we learned how to confront one another in love. When a brother or sister in Christ persists in unrepentant sin, it's our duty to pursue them in love for their restoration and the purity of the body. And in today's lesson, our topic is going to relate to one of the most influential powers given by God to mankind. It's known for its ability to both soothe and to quench the weary soul. It's also known to influence entire nations for good or for evil. Every person makes daily decisions to use this instrument for God's purposes or for wicked ones. It is small, yet it boasts of great things. You know what it is? The tongue. So for today's lesson, we're going to discuss our speech, but specifically how we speak about one another. How we speak about one another. And it's inspired by James 4, verses 11 and 12 which commands us not to speak against one another. First, we'll be taking a look at two unedifying ways we often speak about one another, and we'll then consider how Christ intends our speech to be transformed. So, we have two forms of destructive speech. Two forms of destructive speech. And first, we have slander. This is speech that harms our brothers and sisters in Christ It's unedifying, and it tears down. Slander is the malicious assault of the character of another. 
And Teo talked to us a little bit about this um, in his message on forgiving one another. He described the, the anger and the bitterness um, and the malice that can drive us to uh, attack another person with our words. Uh, the heart behind slander is often motivated, like I said, by bitterness. It could be motivated by envy or pride. So let's think of some scenarios where there might be a temptation for us to slander. The first of these is where there is an offense. Where there is an offense. And this offense might be a real offense where someone has sinned against us, or it may be just that uh, someone um, or has done something that we perceive as them sinning against us, but it really is not. Our hearts can be deceitful about this, um, and we're not always right in feeling offended. But let's say rightly or wrongly, you're feeling very hurt, and you're not willing to forgive the offense, and so you sit on it, growing more and more bitter toward your friend. Guys, your friend makes a joke at your expense, and he knows that you're self-conscious about this thing, and you think, some friend. Ladies, your friend forgot about the movie night you planned and hung out with her boyfriend instead. Ouch. And since that moment, your heart boils when you begin to think about them. And then you start telling a dozen or the 50 other people you come into contact with that week about how your friend mistreated you. And they are so selfish sometimes. How great a fire, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, James says. And you've made it your mission that week to pass along the bitterness you feel toward this person toward others. Pass that bitterness on to others. And soon, everyone's heart gets hot when they think about this person. This behavior is wicked and evil. It's self-focused. And love would have overlooked the offense or sought to reconcile through direct confrontation with the person, to talk it through with them. Love would seek peace, not to create strife or to try to assassinate that person's character in response to hurt. Second way, um, second scenario, is where there is envy. James says this, you desire and you do not have, and so you murder. Here's a classic example that comes up in high school and college settings. You have a big crush on this guy or this girl, and finally, if you're the guy, you've decided you're going to ask her out. If you're the girl, you're ready for the guy to ask you. Then, another guy asks her first, or he asks a different girl. What's your knee-jerk reaction when you and your friends talk about this? You want to say a bunch of things that aren't true, and you don't care if it's hurtful to that person, because you're feeling hurt. Just anything that comes to mind, is re you're ready just to lash out about them. You just think, well, that guy, he's a loser. How could the girl in my dreams want to go out with him? I mean, he reads the message translation. Real men would read the NASB. He asked her, ladies, he asked her out instead of me. I mean, she's just a pretty face. I mean, one time I saw her take the last seat on the bus and an old lady had to stand. I know, and I know this is a, a silly example, but it's just a small sample of the way we seek to sinfully tear down others. These types of tongue lashings can happen in the church, too, especially when we compete for prominence. 
let's say someone serves one time in an area that you normally serve, and they get praised for it by a pastor or a deacon or another member of the church, and you serve every week, and no one says anything to you. You might exclaim to a friend, they're just a freeloader. They have never served at all before now. They don't deserve that. This type of speech is insidious to the body and has no place in it. We cannot start murdering our brothers and sisters' character for any reason. It's contrary to Christ-like love in every way. And next, we're going to look at the damage, the damage caused by sinful slander. And so, Proverbs 17.9 tells us that division can be caused by slander. It says that he who repeats a matter, let's see, he who repeats a matter separates close friends. And Proverbs 17.14 says, the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. How many times in our lives have we seen, a, seen friends and groups of friends separated because of bitterness and slander? Is this to be the testimony of Christ's church? Or should our testimony be our ability to reconcile in the midst of offenses? The church is mighty when it's unified, and these separations are exactly what Satan wants. Next, I want to emphasize something that I hadn't thought about very hard before, um, but just was a helpful motivation for me to desire not to slander. It's that slander is reputation wrecking. It's reputation wrecking. Because of this offense, perceived or real, we've decided to take matters into our own hands and hurt this other person twice as badly. But shouldn't the Christian of all people know how hard it is to remain free from sin? And shouldn't our instinct be mercy towards our brother and sister and not destructive fury? Slanderous assaults, uh, slander assaults and often ruins reputations. There's no honor in it. Would you do that to your mother? or your father, or your little brother, then why do you do it to those in the family of God? 2 Timothy 2.21 describes Christians as vessels, and their holiness and reputation is critical to their usefulness to Christ. But when we slander, it's like we're pouring acid on a steel pitcher that Christ himself has just cleaned and set aside to be used for his glory. We instantly corrode and corrupt it, and keep it from being useful. When we harm their reputation, we hinder their gospel witness and neutralize their usefulness to Christ and the church. So that's slander. Malice motivated speech that readily tears down the character of other believers. Next, we have gossip. What is gossip, and how does it differ from slander? It's often described similarly because harmful information has been shared about someone, or that information has been shared in a harmful way. But I wouldn't say that it's always innately malicious in every case. It often is, but not always. However, gossip is always destructive to relationships. So our definition of gossip is that the share, is the sharing of stories or information, true or untrue, which harms the person talked about and has no benefit for one's hearers. If you don't get all of this, I'll come back to the slide in a minute. I know it's, I know it's long. Um, but I want to look at 1 Timothy 5.13 with you. So if you have your Bibles, 
I have it on the slide, actually. Oh, I got it for you guys. Okay, sorry. Uh, so, 1 Timothy 5.13. And in this passage, um, Paul has been giving instruction to Timothy um, and the church that he's leading uh, regarding how to, uh, how to help younger widows, whether or not they should remarry or remain single. And he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. The word for gossip here means nonsense speaker. And that's a good description of gossip and of a gossip. They just want to speak, they just want something to say and talk about other people until it becomes a bunch of half-true nonsense. It's weightless, weightless, foolish speech. And here, Paul groups them up with busybodies. These are people who are always interested in and talking about business that isn't theirs. Another common description for a gossip is a tale teller, one who goes from house to house sharing news, and they love to draw a crowd for their story, their news story. They sensationalize the facts and when, when they aren't too interesting, and then when they are, um, they love to share the juicy details. Has that ever described you? Proverbs 18.8 says this, The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels, and they go down into the inner parts of the body. There's something in our sinful flesh that loves to hear gossip. It loves to hear business that isn't our own, or to be the one everyone is listening to telling, regardless of the truth of the matter. I think that the heart behind gossip is one that is marked by a lack of self-control, carelessness, bitterness, or self-love. So we'll look at the circumstances. Thinking up situations that gossip might occur in your day-to-day life probably isn't hard. They abound. And this means we have to be very careful. And it takes wisdom with our tongue to avoid being the one who starts up gossip or joins in it. And it takes extra self-control when our heart's motives aren't pure, when there's bitterness or otherwise mixed in here. Here's some situations that I thought of. First, the classic scenario. You and a friend are hanging out, and you say, did you hear or did you see what so-and-so did yesterday? And the other person says, no, I didn't, and practically starts salivating, waiting for you to tell them this story. You tell them how your other friend came in late for curfew. You say, they were hanging out with those people. I bet they weren't doing anything useful tonight. Or maybe it's, did you know that so-and-so and so-and-so started dating? I wouldn't have expected that. How do you think they're going to do? Do you think he's ready for that? Do you think she is? And then you mix in some personal judgments or assumptions. He asked her to be his girlfriend after the first date. I don't think that was very wise of her to say yes. I would have waited at least three or four dates. This isn't quite slander, but it's slanting things in a way that puts your brother or sister in Christ in a negative light. This is critical speech, and it comes from a critical heart. Have you ever been in a group of friends and stories being told, and afterward everyone gives their two cents like this? and tells what they would have done differently. 
you all think the person in the story needs to change or have done something different. And in these situations, it's like everyone is sitting on their own little judgment throne. Another situation that gossip can come up is the quiet moments. When a conversation dies down, is your instinct to immediately start talking? Uh, Is it to start telling a story about another individual? Have you given thought to whether that story is going to benefit that person that you're talking about or your hearers in some way? These quiet moments are hard for you. Watch out for the snare of gossip. And another one, distinctions. Gossip also commonly centers on distinctions. As humans, it's in our nature to be bothered by differences in other people in a sinful way. We should rejoice in these differences. But instead, we're bothered by the way they talk, the way they walk, the way they dress, what they like to do for fun, what they don't like to do for fun, what they watch on TV or music they listen to that you never would. could literally be anything. And these kind of conversations might not start out uh, maliciously motivated, but they are a breeding ground for divisions and contaminating our hearers with a critical spirit. And finally, who's been in this kind of a situation? You make a comment about someone or you share your opinion about someone else and one of your other friends seems uncomfortable with it and they question why you chose to share this and you defend it with, I'm just speaking the truth. And maybe it is true, but is it good for building up? Does it fit the occasion? Is it giving grace to those who hear? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. And we should avoid gossipy conversations characterized by critiquing lives of the lives of others. Because serious damage can be done to the church when we don't. And what's the damage? First, that it poisons everyone's thinking. Gossip can stain the whole body. If not only does it form blemishes on the reputation of Christ, but it taints the thinking of everyone it comes into contact with. We talk about our thinking a lot here, boundless, and the role of mind renewal in the Christian life. So think of gossip like this. This is group mind renewal, but in reverse. You're taking things in the wrong direction. It's like you're planting seeds, except you're planting destructive thoughts. Gossip influences how people think about one another and view this other, these other people in the body. The person being talked about or gossiped about becomes diminished in people's minds. Their view of them is now jaded and their heart more critical than loving. You can also think of gossip like a disease. It starts at one host and rapidly spreads to others until there's a pandemic of strife, division, alienation, sorrow, and hurts of all kinds. One question, uh, or a few questions that we can ask ourselves when tempted to gossip or wondering if we've participated in gossip are these. Would I say this uh, if this friend was standing next to me? Would I share it in the way that I just did? Would they be okay with me sharing this information about them? These questions can guard us from causing a lot of harm. So to summarize, gossip is the foolish, careless, or self-oriented speech which does not give consideration to the benefit of the person being talked about or to the hearers. And before we move on, I have uh, another illustration that I found very helpful. 
um, to think about and to help us envision the damage that's caused in the body uh, when we speak against one another, whether that's gossip or slander. So imagine the church as a brick wall, and we're helping Christ build that wall. Cracks and breaks in the wall can be caused by sin and disunity. And at our disposal, we have the tongue. It can be used as a sledgehammer for taking down the wall or as a trowel for fortifying it. And it's way easier or even natural for us to pick up that sledgehammer and just start whacking. It's in our nature. The bricks start cracking and loosening, and the whole wall quickly comes, that would quickly come down. And this is what happens when we sin with our tongue. The bricks and the mortar that form the wall start coming apart, the members of the body of Christ. A slanderous person picks up the sledgehammer, looks right at one specific brick, and then, wham, tries to knock it straight out of the wall. And a gossip is foolish with their tongue. They pick up that sledgehammer, and they just start sweetening wildly, cracking the wall in multiple places. Do you see that this is contrary to Christ's desire to have his church build itself up in love? We could be looking for cracks and weaknesses in the wall and using our tongues as trowels to mend it and to make it stronger than before. But instead, we tear the wall to pieces. Also, as a, as a bonus, I wasn't able to get to this one uh, in our message for today, but it's also found in James, grumbling against one another. James 5.11, um, could, could add that and think about that in your study this week. Uh, grumbling against one another would be a complaint or an unkind remark about another believer. Um, so, moving to our next section, um, I've thrown out a few heart problems that might lead to gossip or slander. But how does this work? What's going on when we gossip or slander? You can look at Luke 6:45, and it says, "The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good." And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth speaks. And I know that you all know this verse well. Everything that we do in our Christian life has a heart motivation behind it. When we choose to speak against one another, for various reasons, we've stored up bitterness or envy in our heart, and slanderous daggers are ready to come flying. Or... Maybe our love of attention or a high view of ourself lends towards us gossiping about others in a way that gives no thought to the sins and weaknesses we're exposing about someone or how our hearers could be affected by that speech. On one hand, we mentioned that gossip, a gossip is a fool because of their excessive speech and tailbearing. By being thoughtless about this, we put a lot of our friends in harm's way. But both a gossip and a slanderer are frequently motivated by a proud, critical heart. And I want to hone in on this because it's a significant topic to the book of James. James gives three warnings in his short letter about this kind of heart. The first uh, place that he does this is James chapter 2, verse 12. James chapter 2, verse 12. And so here... James says, 
So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. In this warning, he tells us that if we are partial, proud, and merciless towards other believers, and this is a primary characterization of our life, then we shouldn't bank on the mercy of God when we stand before his throne. He's saying this to warn those he's writing the letter to that a persistent lifestyle of this kind might display that they are not born again. In the second warning, chapter 4, uh, chapter four verses 11 and 12, which is our passage for today, uh, that, the, that this message was inspired from, says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? James is saying that what we learn from this is that when we slander or gossip and speak evil against others, our judgmental spirit uh, has set ourselves as an authority over the law. Remember what I said about a group of gossips sitting on their judgment thrones? This describes that person. We should, instead, we should be characterized by doing the law. And what James means is loving your neighbor as yourself, which he mentions back in chapter 2. In speaking evil, we ultimately set ourselves over God, who is the one lawgiver and judge with the power to save and the power to destroy. And finally, in James 5.9, James emphasizes the nearness of God's judgment. It is as if the judge is standing at the door. This is not the wrathful judgment. Um, for the Christian, this is not wrathful judgment, but one where our deeds done in Christ will be judged as of imperishable value, or they will burn up like wood and hay. And let's apply this to our speech. Is our speech weightless, or is it worthy of our calling? God has each of our days written down, and he knows them, but we don't. If you stood before your heavenly Father tomorrow, just, and just the words you spoke today and yesterday were examined, would those words have been a pleasing sacrifice? Would they have been works of love lasting to eternity? In each of these cases, James intends to strike a righteous fear of the Lord in our hearts, so that we'll carefully consider whether our motives are proud and keeping us from loving God and the church. But as we, uh, as we heard this morning from Pastor Farrell, um, Christians are no longer condemned by the law. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we examine our hearts, as Christians, unlike the world, we can have great hope because Christ has opened for us a better way, a way of life and a way of freedom. Nobody who is in Christ is a slave to sin, a slave to gossip, or to slander, or to other forms of destructive speech. And the first step we must take to change is confession and repentance. Confession and repentance. And we find a call to repentance uh, is actually central to James's letter. Uh, I wasn't able to get this one on the slides, um, so just uh, listen, listen into this one. So James says... Verses, starting in verse 7, or starting in verse 6. He's talking about 
how proud hearts and corrupt speech sets believers at enmity with God, and he pleads them to trust God's sovereign grace, declaring, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. As I studied this topic this week, my own heart was grieved at the ungodliness that frequently comes out in my speech. And so I want to plead with you all, like James, to reflect on your speech with a sober mind. And where you see sin in your speech, confess it to Christ and repent of it. He's our propitiation and our advocate with the Father. He lavishly forgives and readily restores our hearts. He wants us to live and to love as he did. And he wants our speech to be life-giving. James writes, for every kind of beast can be tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, he will allow, he, we allow for his grace and spirit to work in us and help us to tame and renew our tongue. And Christ is also served as our example of good speech. As his people, we should long to be like him. 1 Peter 2, 22 says, He committed no sin, neither was deceit found on his lips. And Isaiah 54 says of Christ, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Every word Christ ever spoke was to the benefit of his hearers. Every word he spoke was perfect and able to refresh the soul. So the rest of our time today, we want to chart a path to Christ-like speech. And we're going to talk about three practices for life-giving speech. Um, and you can write down uh, Ephesians 4, 29, uh, next to this in your notes. We want to think about specifically how uh, pr- these practices of life-giving speech can help us to overcome slander and gossip, but they could also be applied to other scenarios as well. The first of these is wise withholding. Wise withholding. Proverbs 10.19 states, Where words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Having the self-control not to speak will often save us from sinning presumptuously against God and our brothers and sisters in the church. I mentioned Proverbs 17.9 earlier. And it says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Refusing to repeat an offense or potentially harmful information is an act of love. And let's think again about the questions that I mentioned. These are our guardrails for wise withholding. We should be asking, um, and I drew this from Ephesians uh, 4.29, Is this speech good for building up? Does it fit the occasion? Does it give grace to those who hear? And then also, would I say this if my friend uh, were right next to me? Would they want this information to be spread? And would I desire my friends to speak about me in this way, behind my back? 
If the answer to any of these questions is no, then we should definitely not say whatever we're thinking of saying. Wise withholding is motivated by love. And love desires not only to honor Christ with our words, but to honor our hearers, to honor our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the faith, face of potential gossip or slander, it is an act of faith and love when we choose to restrain our tongue. Love conceals a matter. It overlooks and covers for the protection of a person's heart and reputation. And we, when we protect others in this way, we keep their reputation free from unnecessary blemishes that will hinder their witness for Christ and their effectiveness in serving the church. Wise withholding is also the first step on the path to speech characterized by wisdom and discretion. Christ will change us from those who are slanders and gossips, governed by our passions, to those who ponder a matter and how we should answer. And to add to this, I, I hadn't mentioned it yet, so we've mostly been focusing on how our speech can harm others, but in a healthy church body, uh, if you're regularly gossiping and slandering, it will likely come to light. It's just a matter of time. And that becomes the reputation that you're establish, establishing for yourself. But learning to be slow to speak, to ponder how to answer, will begin to establish you as one who is humble and really striving to love people in the body. Our second practice for life-giving speech is private thanksgiving. And I don't, I don't have a scripture citation for this point, but I think it corresponds closely and is a big help to the practice of affirmation, um, which is our third practice. Um, but this is, this is what I'm calling it, for lack of a better term, or maybe you could call it others-oriented thanksgiving. And this, this is what I do when I realize that I have a heart that is impatient um, with someone or critical of someone in my life. Before I enter situations where I know I'm going to be speaking to that person or maybe about that person, I need to go to the Lord and give thanks and praise him for them. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll write down a list of how the Lord is using um, or could use them in my life to grow and challenge me, or I'll even write down a list of ways they're different from me um, that are hard for me to understand, maybe are at the root of um, some of these temptations to gossip. And so um, that means, you know, this person might not have done something sinful against me um, in this case, uh, but our hearts can just easily um, get focused in on things um, that really don't matter and shouldn't separate us from another brother and sister in the church. And so as I make these different lists, I let these fuel my prayers to the Lord. And um, just just being real about this, I think hopefully you guys can sympathize with this, um, just the, the struggle that it can be when our hearts get critical towards someone. Um, but when we go before the Lord in prayer like this, it helps to put the pride in our hearts to death. Um, that pride that's formed the dividing wall uh, between you and a friend needs to come down, and love needs to be stirred up. Also, praying to the Lord in this way helps me to fill my mind with truthful thoughts about the person rather than the lies I've been believing. And in situations where gossip or slander could be a temptation, I'll be more ready to speak in a godly way about them rather than a sinful one. 
And then, like I said, this is a good practice for us because it, it readies our heart for the third practice of life-giving speech, which is gracious affirmation. This is just one form of speech that builds up, but it's, I think this is critical to the Christian life, and it's one that we should learn to practice daily and frequently. And this isn't to be confused with flattery, um, which would be speaking untrue things about a person um, or maybe affirming untruth. Um, so don't make something up, but be intentional to affirm your brother and sister in Christ. So what should I look to affirm? It's probably a question you're asking. First, we can look to affirm how God has uniquely made our brother or sister. We can affirm the image of God in them. Some people are uniquely extroverted uh, and exuberant in how they express their joy. Others might be more even-keeled. Some are the contemplative type, problem-solving, or efficiency experts. Other people are energetic go-getters, and they never seem to tire once a goal is in sight. These are all things that we can affirm in someone. Or maybe uh, someone has a deep appreciation for some aspect of God's creation. could be animal life, marine life. could be architecture. It could be music or technology. And affirming in this way shows a sincerity of love that comes from the fact that we've really sought to observe these people and to understand um, just who they are, who God has made them to be, um, and shows that you, you value how the Lord has made them, even, even when it's different from you. And then secondly, we want to affirm how God's grace is working through our brothers and sisters in the church. And I know for me, this is something that is an incredible encouragement. Um, and I think just as believers, um, still struggling with the flesh, still struggling with sin, um, we need to hear often how others are seeing the Lord work in our lives. Um, so questions you could think about are, what fruits of the Spirit do you see this person demonstrating? Peace, patience, kindness, self-control? Maybe the person that you've been serving in children's ministry with is very patient and kind with the kids, even when they're acting up. Or maybe um, there's a person who's always willing to take time to catch up with you and show just a sincere um, desire to hear you out and listen to you, uh, no matter how busy they seem to be in that moment. Or maybe you see a brother or sister who's been laboring hard, sacrificing time and energy to serve the church. Knowing that self-denial is hard, uh, will you affirm their efforts? These are just a few examples, um, but it's important that we affirm these things and let people know how God's using them in your life or in others. Also, uh, we could affirm spiritual gifts. Uh, When you observe a strength of service and gifting that another person has in the body, um, you can affirm that. And this could be the thing that spurs them on to continue exercising their gift. Um, Maybe they feel like their service in the church isn't making much of a difference, and this is what encourages them to know that it is um, and that God is truly using them. Also, um, there's a lot of good fruit that comes from affirmation. So we talked about the destructive tendencies of slander and gossip, the disunity, the division, the strife, um, the, the bitterness that can spread from these things. Um, but affirmation encourages, encourages unity 
and joyful relationships. Now, one way um, that we've already, I've already really said is that it's encouraging. Um, affirmation can completely change the, the tune of someone's day. Um, I was thinking about it, and I think often we have days where we're just feeling kind of blah, you know? It's like, eh, this day is like, it's all right. Um, but then someone comes by and affirms you in some way, and it's like, wow, that was kind, and God is so good, and it's just a beautiful day outside. It just completely changes our attitude, um, and it's encouraging. Also, it's energizing. Um, and like I just said in regard to spiritual gifts, whether someone's struggling in their efforts to do good um, or they're excelling, affirmation can energize them to strive um, even more faithfully for Christ's sake. Uh, think of the benefit of affirmation to a child. I think any parent would tell you that um, children benefit from lots and lots of affirmation. Um, correction is needed at times and maybe often with a young child, um, but they need lots and lots of affirmation in the things that they're doing well um, and that they're, uh, that they're good at doing. And as humans, I think all of us are wired this way. Um, and so you see, as we affirm, we're now using our tongue not to destroy, but to build up by reinforcing godly character traits and habits that we see in the body of Christ. We could, um, we could even go back to our sledgehammer analogy and say that all that time that you were spending slamming the sledgehammer into the wall, into the bricks, tearing things down in the church, now you're sealing up all the cracks, making sure the bricks remain strong and united together. Also, you can affirm others even when they're not present. You might think that affirmation is just face-to-face, but it's great to affirm others even when they're not present. Um, And I think this is kind of the opposite side of what we talked about with gossip. Um, Here's an example that I was thinking about as a tempting scenario. Maybe your day at school or your day at work uh, wasn't everything that you hoped it would be. Um, You were kind of spending a lot of time with someone in that day or working alongside someone, and you're thinking, man, they really slowed me down today. Um, They're they're being forgetful, um, whatever it is, and you could fixate on their little failures and maybe weaknesses that they had during that day, um, all to the neglect of the weaknesses and failures that you had that day. Uh, Or you could be intentional to think about how that brother or sister spent the rest of the day striving to overcome those weaknesses, striving for clear communication, closer attention to details and what they were doing in their work. Um, And so where this comes up is that you are going to share about your day. People say, how was your day? And you might be tempted to share the negative things, um, and sinfully so, or you could affirm these positive traits and godly traits that you saw um, in this other member of the church. And so rather than staining or poisoning the thoughts of others against this person in some way, we're now spreading thoughts of the grace of God in that person. And when that person comes to mind, this will be the thing that comes to mind in the mind of others as well. And then finally, I also want to acknowledge that we're strengthening our brothers and sisters' gospel witness um, rather than tearing it down like we were talking about. Uh, By affirming them, uh, that steel pitcher that Christ shined up and it's a little banged up and beat up, 
instead of further uh, corroding it, we're drawing attention to the areas of it that shine the brightest. Um, we're all dinged up vessels. And if you're, if you're worried maybe that by affirming all the time um, or frequently, maybe you're going to uh, unnecessarily exalt someone, uh, don't fear. By highlighting God's creative work in a brother or sister um, or his grace in them, uh, we aren't putting them on a pedestal, but we're honoring them, which God says is a good and loving thing to do. And ultimately, we're exalting and glorifying Christ, who made them and redeemed them. And then finally, uh, another benefit of affirmation is we're putting to death pride and self-love. Putting to death that pride and self-love, and it trains our hearts to be others-oriented. And the more we do it, the more we'll experience joy um, and the blessings of a unified, uh, unified friendships and uh, we won't desire that false satisfaction that comes from tearing down. So, hopefully, uh, I know I just gave a really long list, and I didn't give you guys bullet points for that, but hopefully that was helpful. Um, and you can see that gracious affirmation is a good, uh, edifying, and life-giving practice, um, something that you should implement, or if you do it, uh, I know a lot of you do it well, more intentionally implement in your day-to-day life, and watch how Christ transforms your relationships. When we choose Christ's way, and by faith, love, affirm, and speak uh, with gracious, humble attitudes, our relationships and the body will be strong and sweet. And the Apostle Paul called believers to outdo one another in showing honor, and this demonstrates our genuine love. So let's not be characterized by malicious or critical speech that tears down but humbly seek to outdo one another in speaking affirmation and speaking in other life-giving ways. By God's grace, uh, we can bridle and wield this powerful instrument of the tongue uh, that he's given us for more uh, and more glory to his name. So that's all for our One Another series, and I hope that you guys, like I said at the beginning, are just feeling more more equipped to love each other in the church um, through this. And um, if you want more resources on the topic of speech, you can go to Pastor Rich's Taming the Tongue series, which is on the podcast. Also, um, there's a great document on the website, which I referenced um, in putting this message together. And then also, Practicing Affirmation by Sam Crabtree is another resource I used. Um, But if you guys are interested in any of that, can't remember the name of the book, just... Come, come to me after. Um, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you so much for your goodness towards us and your kindness uh, that you show us each day. Lord, I thank you that you have brought us together here in the body of Christ at Timberlake, uh, just that you have ransomed each one of us and you are teaching us how to have a vibrant fellowship and vibrant relationships with one another, and you give us instruction for that in your word. Um, Lord, I pray specifically just that we would learn to bridle our tongues, that we would start by um, slowing down our speech, thinking about what we're about to say, um, whether it benefits the people around us or whether it is giving grace to those who hear. Um, Lord, our words aren't neutral things. They They are working either for Uh, Satan's kingdom or for yours and so 
Um, help us to be humble. Help us to grow in this um, and to love one another in our speech. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.